Well, good morning. Welcome this morning. So glad that you joined us here at Milestone Church. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney, and uh, just as Katie got done saying, uh, we're so honored that you're here. We know that each and every weekend is someone's first time, and that's a big deal to us, so thank you so much for joining us. We are starting a new series, and along with this series will come small groups that will coincide with this, and this series called, is called Subject to Change, and, and we're going to look at what does it look like to navigate the twists and turns and the changes of life, because we all experience them. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want to celebrate what we just had an opportunity to be a part of. And, and you know, you may be uh, familiar with baptisms. I always love when we do baptisms. I love Baptism Sunday. Uh, if you've ever wondered, because I know it's at the top of your list of the ponderings of your life, does Pastor Chris ever cry? And uh, that was a joke, okay? <laughs> Because I know you're never thinking that really. But if you're going, does he cry on Baptism Sunday? I do cry at other times. But I will be weepy-faced right over here because it's just something amazing when we get to come together as a church family and we get to celebrate with one another their public profession of the faith that they are putting in Jesus and the commitment that they've made to him. And so it was just amazing. I love what God's doing in our next gen, all those young people. And uh, for me now, having been a part of doing this for a long time. I've been, Wendy and I, doing ministry full-time uh, for over 20 years now. And when we have moments like this, you know, you really start realizing kind of how long you've had an opportunity to be a part of things because you start seeing people that you've known. You remember when they got married. You remember uh, when they started having children. Uh, and you start seeing their children giving their life to the Lord, getting baptized. You're a part of a church family. Maybe you were back there and you were helping in Milestone Kids and you were helping water and plant seeds in kids' lives. And you start seeing some of those young people up here uh, making a public profession of faith. There's just something powerful about it. And so that's why we celebrate baptisms within our service. And it's just amazing. And so it's going to be a great, it's already been a great day. We had a great first service, baptisms. And then tonight, just as Katie said, I just want to say this just briefly. I know we're all busy. We're not looking for more things to put on your schedule. But I want to encourage you, nights like tonight, our commitment has been this year, we want to help you grow. And moments like that, you're saying, Pastor Chris, moments like tonight will help you help me grow? Absolutely. When you come into an environment like that, when we're able to all come together, worship together, we're able to get just an injection from our lead pastor, a very specific word just for us, it's going to be a great time. And uh, I look forward to seeing you guys here tonight at 6 o'clock. Well, as we look at this new series, Subject to Change, you may be wondering, well, that's an interesting uh, phrase. Why would we name a series Subject to Change? What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and when you think about it, it's a little bit of a play on words. Because when you think about change, think of it this way. You know, if there is something you're really looking forward to in the day and age that we live in with different regulations and things we have to be aware of, you could have a trip scheduled, uh, you may have something that you, were, you, you had purchased or something you're planning out and you're really excited about, the last thing you want to hear is, it's subject to change. But... In the same hand, if you got a diagnosis or you were sick or ill or you had a conversation about a challenging situation and you really don't know which way it's going to go, you want to hear this could be subject to change. You see, when it comes to change, the only thing that never changes it cha is change itself. 
It will always be there. And depending on what that change may be really determines how we engage with change, how we process change. And if there's one thing I've learned in my own life, and you may have learned it in your life or just even living life with other people, we don't really handle change well. We don't navigate it as well as we think we do. And when you look at the day and age that we live in, there is a lot of things that can easily change on the turn of a dime. And so much is transpiring. And, and think about it, even for you. You may be praying, God, I want this situation to change. Yet maybe you remember when you were single and you were praying for the one. Boom, now they are. The one. And it's just like, finally, you, you, you're, you get married. And, and then now you're, you're living together and you're sharing this home. And you think, Lord, the one you gave me, they squeezed the toothpaste from the middle. What's wrong with them? And all of a sudden, things change. You're like, I didn't know all this came along. I thought it was like, you know, we're married and it's fun. It's a party. It's like honeymoon every day. And then like, they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle. This is a problem. Or that baby, Lord, your word says children are a blessing from the Lord. But this one cries a lot and eats a lot. And I have to change their diapers a lot. And they really, I did not know a human being could say the word mom that many times without taking a breath in a matter of 30 seconds. But you prayed for that. That's what you prayed for. Your job, Lord, I want to advance, I want to grow. And then you get the new job, but you think about your old team and you like the title and you like the position and you like the resources, but you miss the team, you miss the environment you were a part of. The new home that you were believing for and you finally moved into it and you love it and it's beautiful and you're grateful, but you miss the old neighborhood and all your old neighbors and relationships that you built. Why? Because we experience change and we will pray for God to do something. And then when that change happens, we really don't realize that we don't process, engage and engage with that change very well. You know, and in the day and age we live in, you could be thinking, well, no one has really ever experienced what we're experiencing. Like the day and age we live in, like everything, like, I mean, imagine living at a time within the world when there was cultural and, and religious upheaval and change. Imagine living in a time when, when technology and technological advances expanded your ability to know about the known world. Technologies and information and advancements in information and, and communicating information began to impact public opinion in such a rapid way. Think about how your day and advances and in, in inventions, it shifted and changed the way that you engage with your day and how you planned out your day. You may think, well, yeah, I'm living in that day, but can I help you? We're not the only ones that have experienced that. That type of change and the magnitude of that change, because in the 1500s and 1600s, there was the Reformation that changed all of religion. There was the invention of the watch that changed how people interacted with their day. The invention of the telescope expanded and it shattered what people thought of what they thought of the known world. And now the expanse of what the known world really is and the universes that surround it. The newspaper now began to communicate information and shift public opinion so quickly. So we aren't really experiencing anything different 
than those who've come before us. But there is one change. There is one difference. It's the speed at which we experience that change. The speed, the access. I don't know if you experienced this. If you were watching the Olympics or trying to watch the Olympics, you know, the night before, they're telling me, tune in. You're going to see the men's basketball team play for the gold. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that. Well, at about 12 noon, ESPN is sending me updates that the U.S. team won the gold medal. Well, why watch tonight? Why? Because information is being pushed to us and pushed to us so quickly and so rapidly. You see, the speed of change that begins to happen, the way we engage with that change, it's changing even that in and of itself. But the question is, how do we process that? How do we engage with that? How do we, how do we navigate that? You see, what I want to help us begin to do is we start this is kind of the intro to this series. And as we said, we'll have small groups that will be kicking off in early September and, and so we, we're going to kind of begin to unpack and look at the people of Israel and this journey that they're on and how they navigated change. I want you to open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to get there in just a minute. But when it comes to change, I want to help us and, and I want to encourage you that our Heavenly Father wants to help us when it comes to change. Wants to help us in how we process and aggregate change. In fact... He's very gracious and caring when it comes to change. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 17, here's what it says. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, everything changes but change itself. It's never going away except for one person, one individual. God will never change. He will always stay constant. He is always there for us. He is with us. He is a good father who has a plan and a purpose for us. And so as we experience and navigate change and we see the things that we walk through and the things that we experience, it impacts us in such a a different way. You see, we are understanding what it actually looks like to begin to navigate change. I, I, I feel like in my life, and, and Wendy may say different, but I feel like I kind of handle change well. I feel like I, I acclimate to change well. I, I like change. Maybe sometimes a little guilty of like, let's change things up just to change things up. Probably a little too much change, you know. But I feel like I, I, I do good with change. But I'm experiencing some things with change with my kids that are like, I, I don't know what's happening here. Like, my, my oldest is now in middle school, and she's walking out the door, and I'm going, why do you kind of look like a teenager? Like, stop that. And then, and then, and then iPhone, you know, they kind of help me with that because they pop up pictures, you know, like your memories. And, and earlier this week, her picture of her first day of kindergarten popped up on my phone. I'm like, where's that? that little, look at that little cutie. Like, now she's going to middle school. What, what is happening? And living in a house, I live in a house with four women. I've got three little girls and a beautiful wife. Well, I don't have a lot of, like, me spaces, like my area. Like, we, we, we purposely, the house that we landed on, it had two sinks because you've done the share one sink with your spouse before, right? You thought squeezing the toothpaste in the middle was a problem. Share one sink with your spouse, boy, that'll test you. So we got a house with two. 
I've got my little zone, my area. That's it. That's like my stuff. I don't have many places. But it's amazing as my girls keep getting older. I don't understand why. But every time I want to go into my bathroom with my sink, I've got girls in there with their stuff and their clothes all over the place. And I'm like, why do we have to take a bath and a shower in my bathroom? There's a perfectly good bathroom on the other side of the house that you can use. And things are changing. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Y'all pray for your pastor. <laughs> Makeup is going to start entering the situation, and I'm dreading the day when then I come in and it's not just clothes and shoes and toys in my bathroom. There's going to be makeup in my bathroom, all over my sink, and all over my toothbrush. I don't want to taste foundation and blush when I'm brushing my teeth. Things change, and we navigate this, and it's like, what is happening you see, the people of Israel were navigating change as well. They were navigating what it looked like. And, and while we, we experience things so differently, things change when it comes to our family dynamics. Things change as our children get older. Things change within our relationship seasons. You know, change isn't always bad. There's good change as well. But there's change that happens. Change begins to happen. And we're going to look at the people of Israel and their journey out of Egypt. And we're going to learn from the people of Israel, how do we navigate change when things seemingly just change on us? Well, when you look at the people of Israel, some of you may know this story. They were in slavery, in bondage, in, in, a, in a place called Egypt. And you may be wondering, well, how did they end up in Egypt? Well, it goes all the way back to, to Joseph. And Joseph was a man, he was an Israelite, who ended up in Egypt, he was in a position of authority and ruling. And when he went, there were 70 people, primarily his family, that went into Egypt. By the time the people of Israel leave Egypt, there are 2.5 million people. So they have gone from just a family to a nation. They have grown. Well, the pharaohs of the time that knew Joseph understood him, honored, respect him. There are years, hundreds of years that have transpired. They have forgotten. And they look up one day and they see 2.5 million people and they begin to feel threatened by the people of Israel. So they put them not only into slavery, but they have begun to murder the young sons. And, and some of you know the story of a man named Moses who was a young Israelite boy who was spared and who was saved. And so here you have these people in slavery, in bondage, and they're crying out to God for help. And that's where we pick up Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So here we are. We're years past Joseph. The people are crying out for help. And so God goes to find a man named Moses on the backside of a mountain. It's in this moment that he begins. See, because God's always working. 
In the middle of you feeling like you're in the worst situation of your life, you may not see it or recognize it, but God is working. He may be calling out to somebody and calling someone on the backside of a mountain in a region far away that is going to be a part of his plan to bring restoration and reformation. And that's what God was doing when he called Moses. Now, as I said, and I mentioned Moses earlier, Moses was a little boy that should have been murdered, but he was spared. His mom put him in a basket, and he was floating down the Nile River. And actually, Pharaoh's daughter saw him, brought him, adopted him. He was raised in the palace. So he was raised with all these other Egyptians. But there was one moment as he fast-forwards in his life, he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And something inside of him rises up, and his, inten his intention was to help but his motivation was anger. He ends up murdering this Egyptian. So he runs for his life. He runs and he hides and he goes into the desert. He's hiding on the backside of a desert. And that's where God shows up to him 40 years later. He's now 80 years old. And some of you may know the story of the burning bush. That God shows up to Moses in this burning bush moment. And what we don't realize is this is the catalyst for change. This is the catalyst for reformation and restoration. God in this moment is working and moving. But here's Moses, 80 years old. I want you to know that you may be 80 years old, you may be 8 years old, you may be somewhere in between. God's not done with you and you can have a purpose. There is a purpose and a plan. You're never too old to be used by God. You're never too young to be used by God. God has a purpose and a plan for you and all you have to do is step out in faith. And so for you, you may be in here wondering, man, I got, you know, my hair's a little lighter than it used to be. My hair's turned loose. It don't hold quite as tight as it used to be. I went ahead and shaved it all off. Wherever it may be, what can I do? Just as Moses, and, and trust me, Moses in and of himself, we're going to talk about Moses in this series but Moses in and of himself could have gone man I don't you know what difference can I make can I tell you something you may be in the season of life that God could use you to impart and encourage a younger generation of young couples and young families and young parents because of the things you've learned in your walk with Christ maybe you got saved later on in life and gave your life to the Lord later on in life that's what I love about you milestone church that whether young or old, there is a place for you and you can make a difference. That's the power of an everyone church. That's what God's doing in Moses here. He could have easily said, too old, my days are done, it's over. No. He answers God's call. And it's in this moment that becomes the catalyst for what God is going to do. And you see, you fast forward and here's what happens. Here's God's response to the people's cry in Exodus 2. In Exodus 3, God responds and says this. Exodus 3, verse 7. says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I love that. He, he sees, he hears, and he's concerned. For the situation and circumstance that you are in and that you were walking through. Let, let me give you just a 30,000 foot view here of what happens. You see, what's happening in the Exodus story is the Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. God begins to set them free. He leads them into freedom in the promised land. But here's where it gets real personal. You see, this is more than just a rescue mission. This is the beginning when he begins to interact on a relation, in a relational way with the people of Israel. 
He, he, he parts the Red Sea. God makes a difference. He gives him the Ten Commandments. There's Passover. There's, there's the Day of Atonement. He, he creates the tabernacle where his presence will reside. Why? Because it was more than just let me set them free. Let me have a relationship with them. That's what God is wanting to do. And that's how he's engaging and interacting with the people of Israel here. And so you may wonder, well, what did that journey look like? When you look at the journey, just so you know, so you kind of have a picture. Egypt is here, and God wanted to bring them to the promised land, just over 250 miles. It's probably about an 11-day journey. But they didn't take that 11-day journey. They went into the wilderness. And in all fairness, they went into wilderness because the wilderness was really actually part of the journey. Some theologians think that had they gone into the wilderness, embraced what God wanted to do, it may have been closer to a 14 to 21 day journey. But instead of walking through the wilderness, because see, God knew they weren't ready. They were going to experience some battles in the promised land. God knew they weren't ready for war. So God was bringing them into the wilderness to go through the wilderness. You see, there's times where you will walk in the wilderness, but you don't have to wander in the wilderness. And what was 11 days, or what could have been 14 to 21 days, turned into 40, some theologians say 42 years wandering in the desert. What happened? Why? How, how, did, how did that happen? How did we get there? You see, what begins to happen is we're a lot more like the people of Israel than we would like to admit. God may be walking us through a season, and rather than walking through that wilderness, we begin to wander. And when we wander, we begin to wonder, God, where are you? Why is this happening? What are you doing? And we have a hard time navigating change, embracing change. You see, because what we tend to do when change begins to come, look at the season we're in now, the climate we're in. We're like, oh, this whole pandemic, this whole thing, it'll be done in a few months, no big deal. Here we are, still in it. But what we do, what many of us do when change comes, especially when it's something we have no control over, we talk ourselves into thinking, okay, it's over. It's done. We're beyond it. But what happens is we're not beyond it. We're not beyond it, and then we continue to be frustrated and aggravated, and we begin to experience friction and frustration. And so we're looking at the people of Israel, and what I want us to get is this, is that although we live in a world that is always changing, we can face a changing world and all the things that come along with it because we have a God who never changes and can be trusted. Though we live in a world that's always changing, we can face those changes because we have a God who never changes. He sees, he knows, he's concerned. He doesn't shift like the shadows. He is always there. He is with us and he is for us. But here's the reality of that. We don't handle this and walk through it as good as we think. We think we're better at change than we really are. We do. We think, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. But, but the reality is we don't got it. We don't got it. I know that's bad English, but it's true. It's not proper grammar, but it's true. We, we don't process it as well as we think. So what can we learn? How do we learn from the people of Israel, this journey that they're on? And we're going to take a journey through this series. We're going to unpack a lot of different things about the people of Israel and the things they experience. We're going to learn. We're going to learn from them. Because what begins to happen is when, when significant change comes, it brings about some things in us. And we begin to learn some things. In, in fact, we begin to realize what actually happens when we go through significant change. Just like the people of Israel. 
11 days turns into 40 years. 270 people turn into 2.5 million people. But here's the thing about it. When you begin to see how did they handle that change, that's when you begin to realize, okay, God, you're, you're wanting to teach me something. You see, the first thing that we begin to learn and recognize about significant change is we learn about God. We learn about God. Sometimes we don't have a good understanding about who God is. We think he's this harsh judge up in heaven or in some place waiting to exact judgment on the decisions that we made. But he's actually more gracious and kind and caring than we actually realize. I love that last song that we sang. That's basically what we were singing. God, you are good. You are faithful. I don't deserve it. Yet you are kind and you are loving. The problem is this. Sometimes we project onto God how we would respond to change. You know, I remember being a young Christian reading this story about the Israelites. You know, and of course, when you're young, you think, man, I got it all figured out. You know, I know exactly what I do. I'm reading this story. I'm like, these guys, I mean, they're just full on. They're off their right. I mean, God, you're just you're patient. I mean, what, what is happening? Golden calves? I mean, what are we doing? You know, going up the mountain. I don't know. Just kill them all, guys. Just lightning bolt. Boom. Can we start over? I mean, you done it once. You can create again. Thank goodness I'm not God. You see, because think about it. You engage in conversations and change with your spouse or with your children. You get frustrated. You get agitated. Maybe you don't. I could. And what happens is we respond and act that way and we think, well, that must be how God is. When in reality, no, he's loving and he's kind and he's patient. He sees and he knows. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He, he, can, he is concerned for you. And what begins to happen is we don't realize how those things begin to affect us. But it started way back when, even in the garden. God is loving and caring in fact, the first fruits, if you would, of the fall of man and sin is actually trying to cover up and fix things on our own. You see, what happens is the origin of us having a hard time and trying to not, and not fully understanding who God is is that we try and fix things on our own. You ever tried to do it? I know I have. Let me try and fix that. Let me try and fix it. I, I need to fix it. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. The Bible says that when they sinned, they felt the shame. They saw their nakedness. And so they went and they created, they made clothes for themselves and they covered up. And it says that God came in the cool of the morning as he always does. And he walks through the garden and he showed up. And you know what he did? He didn't say, what'd you do? I know for me, I walk in and I see my children have made a mess where a mess shouldn't be. Something got broken that should, and my tendency can be, what happened? What'd you do? What's going on? That's not how God is. God showed up and said, where are you? Where are you? Then in the middle of your mess and your mistake, I want to draw you close. I want to draw you near. I want a relationship with you. That's how God works. You begin to learn and change and transition that that's how God is wanting to engage with you. Now, make no mistake, there are consequences for the choices we make. And we'll experience those consequences. And we'll have to live through those consequences. But when you understand who God is in the middle of change, you recognize he's wanting a relationship with you and he's wanting to draw you close. I remember seeing this quote, and maybe you've seen it. The difference between religion and the gospel, and this is the power of the gospel, is that when you make a mistake and it's all about rules and regulations and you're trying to work your way to get to God, the response when you make a mistake is, oh, great. 
My dad's going to be so upset. He's going to be so mad at me. But the gospel is this. When you understand that God wants a relationship with you and he loves you, your response is, I made a mistake. I need to call my dad. See, the challenge is, though, with our earthly fathers, we had a dad that was, if we made a mistake, oh, man, dad's going to kill me. That's not how God is. He's saying, reach out. Call to me. Because I see you, I hear you, and I'm concerned for you. So you learn about God in the middle of change. But here's the other thing. You learn about, we learn about ourselves. We learn about ourselves. We learn how we respond and how we interact. We learn that everyone is not perfect. And you begin to see those things. I'm grateful we read a Bible that is not an edited Bible. You got all, this Bible is full of people who made mistakes, who did foolish things, who tried to fix it on their own and cover up and make things happen on their own. It gives me hope for me. It's full. And the reason when you begin to evaluate when change happens and you learn more about yourself, it's because you begin to see how you actually adapt to and adopt change. Again, we think we adopt change and we embrace change better than we really do. I'll give you an example. Everett Rogers in 62, he created the law of diffusion of innovation. Basically, here is how people aggregate to change and innovative things. So early on, you have innovators. About 2.5% of the population are innovators. They instigate and they initiate change, right? Most innovators, though, just a side note, most people who are innovators and they, they create things, they tend to have relational dysfunction. The reason is because they're so focused on the thing they feel they can control by innovating that they negate and miss out on the thing they really care about the most, which are the relationships closest to them. Because we can think, oh, I want to be an innovator. I want to, well, yeah, you can, and you may be. But in reality, very few of us are innovators. Some of us are early adopters, but still not a lot. Really, the majority of us live right in the middle. Early majority, late majority. But then you have some. You have the laggards. You kind of drag your feet. You just got a cell phone this year. You know, you're kind of like, wow, you know, I can send pictures on this thing. and I can text. And they have these little icons. They call them emojis. You ever heard of those? You're like, yeah, welcome. <laughs> hey, there's all sorts of different things. We don't, why? You see, scientifically, we also recognize we don't adapt to change well. We don't like it. And when change begins to happen, you begin to learn about yourself. I've learned about myself in this season over the last year and a half, two years. I learned that I tend to react a little more than I thought, and I should respond more. I thought, man, I, I respond really well in situations of change and challenge. And I'm recognizing, no, actually, I probably react a little more than I thought. I, and I, I got to work on that. I, I recognize I, I tend to, to get a little more frustrated at things I can't control. And while I've made some progress, and God, I trust you, I surrender to you, I've recognized there's still some areas that when things happen that I can't control because I like to be in control. And when that begins to happen, something in me comes out, I get a little more frustrated. So you begin to recognize when change happens, you learn a little bit more about yourself. But here's the other thing I recognize and learned about myself. I recognize I have a greater measure of resolve than I thought. 
that I'm resolved to be fully committed to Jesus more than ever before, to Wendy and my girls, and to grow as a husband, as a dad, and as a father. I'm fully committed to what God's called us to do at Milestone Church McKinney and reaching people and building lives. I'm fully committed. I'm all in on this next generation, seeing them raised up. And when you see all these young people getting baptized and you see them being a part of what God is actually doing and they're reaching their friends and they're impacting their school, I have a greater resolve. I'm fully committed to those things. You learn about yourself in change. Good things and challenging things. Then you begin to learn about others too. You begin to learn, they didn't really acclimate to the change like I wanted them to. (laughs) They didn't get on board as fast as I thought they would. That kind of aggravates me. That kind of frustrates me. And see, this is why I'm so passionate and concerned about this because what begins to happen is we think we acclimate to change well. But because we don't acclimate as well as we think, it ends up creating dysfunction and fractures in the relationships closest to us. But oftentimes we don't recognize it till there's already a fault line in the foundation. But you don't have to wait for that. When you begin to embrace change and you begin to see those things, you can begin to learn and recognize, wait, 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 hold on. I don't have to try and prove my point. I don't have to try and win the conversation and win the argument. Because he, my personality, my thought is if someone is having a challenging time or we have a challenging moment or there's change happening and I want someone else to acclimate to that change, I need to give them a good amount of information. I need to make sure they're really clear when in reality, they may just need a hug. They may just need me to listen. We read James 1.17 and said that He's a good father, right? He gives good gifts. You continue to read verse 19. It says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. That whole chapter, chapter 1 of James, is all about trials, tribulations, change, and how you navigate it and engage with it. You see, what would happen if you were a little more quick to listen? How would that impact others? You see, that's what begins to happen. And you may be saying, Pastor Chris, are we really, we're going to really like talk about the Israelites' journey out of Egypt for the next few weeks? Yeah. You want to know why? Because we're going to learn God's principle and purpose in how we navigate change when it comes up and when it happens. But it's not just learning from the context of reading. I want us to recognize that even Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was concerned about us learning this. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's actually highlighting this story of Moses and the people of Israel. And look at what he says about their journey out of Egypt, their journey out of the desert, the things that they experienced in the desert. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. You see, that wandering in the desert for 40 years... What happened is there were so many moments of not knowing how to navigate change and trust God that what began to happen is they tried to fix it and take it under their own control. They tried to assess the situation. Because I don't know about you, when change begins to happen, rather than going, God, let me slow down. Let me, let me, let me try and embrace and get myself ready to embrace what you're wanting to teach me. Let me get my soul ready to receive what you may have for me. What we tend to do, at least this is what I do, when change happens, I assess the situation. What do I need to do to fix and control what I can control? How do I mitigate the damage? 
But in reality, rather than speeding through, what we need to do is slow down. I've said it before. Rather than praying, God, get me out of this situation, you start praying, God, what do you want me to get out of this situation? You see, because you're going to walk through the wilderness because God's wanting to get some things out of you. Those Israelites had lived in Egypt for a long time. So God was not only wanting to get them out of Egypt, there was a little bit of Egypt inside of them. And God was wanting to get Egypt out of them. It was all part of the process. So it may have been a part of the walk, but it certainly didn't have to turn into a wander. And here's what happens. Is what I want us to get is remember, 2.5 million people left Egypt. But only two of the original 2.5 went into the promised land. And Moses wasn't one of them. It was Joshua and Caleb. And why am I so passionate about this and passionate about this story and helping us learn this is because I remember as a young Christian reading this story, I remember learning these principles and I remember saying, God, I want to be one of the two. I want to go into the promises you have for me. I want to, it's hard. It's not easy. You're working on me. You're doing things inside of me. I want to embrace what you have for me, but I want to embrace those things, not become bitter, not become jaded, not become harsh, and just keep wandering in the wilderness and miss out on what you have for me. I want to embrace what you have for me because I want to be one of the two that walks into the promised land, and I want that for you. Because if we learn what God is wanting to do, it's just like Paul said. Paul's writing those words. Hey, this is an example for us to learn so we don't make the same mistake. He's saying this on the backside of Jesus dying on the cross and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that helps us live a life of victory. That we can do this. We can walk through this. We can experience all that God has for us if we will recognize that God brings change and when change comes about, it may be hard. There is loss in change, even good change. You get a promotion. You get these new things. There's a loss there. There's pain because what you once had is not there anymore. There's grief that comes along with change. And we don't know how to really handle grief and loss well, which is why we don't always know how to handle change well. But we can. We can. We can say, God, even though we live in a world that is always changing, you never change. And I trust you. I trust you. God is for you. He hears you. He sees you. And he's concerned for you. And if you'll embrace what he's wanting to do in this season and you just embrace growing through this season, there are promises on the other end that you don't even realize.